What we're going to be looking at today is an interesting passage. What we have is last week, we looked at this, uh, the, the first part of Acts chapter 1, which said, look forward to the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And then next week in Acts chapter 2, that's going to happen. So you have this looking forward to, and then you have it's going to happen in just a minute. And then in between is this passage. So this is what was uh, I was kind of agonizing over this week. Why? Why talk about the things that you just read about, you know, spilled intestines? And like, why are we talking about this? We're anticipating the coming of the Holy Spirit, and he's going to come in a minute. So uh, what is this active waiting look like? If you were to anticipate God coming into your life, what would it look like to wait for him? to actively wait for him. Well, we see three things in this passage that need to be highlighted, and the last one in particular, since that's what most uh, attention is given to. So uh, I want to read through just a bit of what uh, Christy read out, and then we're going to draw some conclusions from it. So it says in verse 14, they all join together constantly in prayer. So they're waiting for the Holy Spirit. What are they doing? They're all together, and they're in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. And then in verse 21, it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus was living among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken out from us. For one of these must become a witness of his resurrection. So for some reason, this is super important to them, that if we're going to prepare for the coming of the Spirit of God, we've got to make sure that we've completed this leadership team of 12, because one was missing, and uh, we've got to fill that spot. So they nominated two men which you've heard about, and then they prayed. Lord, you know everyone's heart, so show us which of these two you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry which Judas left to go where he belongs. Then they cast lots, they shook dice. Isn't that great? You want to listen to the Holy Spirit? This is what we should all do. That's what the point of this message is. You should all have holy dice in your pocket when you don't know what to do. You uh, lay some bets even, perhaps. I don't know. It could be a lot of fun. Then they cast lots, and the lot fell to Matthias, so he was added to the 11 apostles. All right? So what do we see? What does this active waiting look like? Looks like? It looks like three things. It looks like living in community, uh, in prayer, and then finally, it looks like leadership. Let's look at each one of these. Why is this important? Well, number one is that God dwells in community. In Matthew 18, 20, it says, For where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. One of the things that I have been really struggling over is uh, the importance of meeting together uh, personally. We, I think we spent two years, uh, pretty much, meeting over Zoom. And I think it really took a toll on us as a community. I think it was hard. And what we see in this passage is that where two or three gather in my name. There's something about gathering together, whether it's in a small group or a large group. There's something about gathering together. Now, here's one of my concerns. In Matthew, uh, sorry, in Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, it says, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. I think one of the things that has happened during this time is we've fallen out of the habit of meeting together. And it is a habit, isn't it? And then when you fall out of that habit, 
kind of another habit takes over of uh, not meeting together. And so here's what I'm praying for us as a community. As we would anticipate the coming of the Spirit of God, that we would not let, and here's the big word, that we would not let fear motivate our decisions as to whether we get together or not and, uh, and worship Jesus. I think it's very easy in a time like this to be motivated by fear and not faith and to be able to say it's just too risky. It's just too risky. Well, I would like to present to you tonight that I think it's too risky not to. It's just too risky. It's too hard in our faith. And uh, we need to be together. So if we're to actively anticipate God coming, we are all joined together. And then what are we joined together for? Primarily to pray. We pray because our battle is not against flesh and blood, Ephesians 6.12. If, uh, if we were just a social club or if we were just a business and we wanted to grow our business, we just develop a business plan and execute it. But there are things that are coming against us that are beyond our ability to control. And so we need to be a people of prayer. I think it's too often that we have blamed ourselves for not being having a strong enough willpower when really it's been demonic attack. And so we need to be a praying people. Um, in, uh, in Acts 4.31, we'll talk more about it later, but I just it's, it fits so well because it brings up both of these first two points. It says, after they prayed, the place, note again, the place where they were meeting was shaken. So you see, prayer and the place where they were really mattered. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. So we're committed to continue to pray for you every week. We have asked the prayer team to be up here for the next number of weeks because we want an opportunity to be able to pray for you. Also, if, uh, if it's difficult for you to be here or if you're listening online and it's difficult, um, uh, let's talk because it's important that we figure out how to be together. And if we need to hear what your concerns are and how we can accommodate that, man, we would just love to be able to serve you and work that out with you. We want to see everybody be able to come together and respect where everyone is at. So point number one is to be in community. Point number two is to pray. But here's the last one that I find particularly interesting because it doesn't really make sense to me. I totally get, because I see clearly in Scripture, how God dwells among his people, and the primary thing that we're given to do when we gather together is to pray. I totally get that. That makes sense of how God would dwell inside of our prayers and inside of our community. But then the primary point that's mentioned in this passage is the idea of needing to fill out their leadership team this apostolic ministry team. They needed human leaders. <laughs> now, uh, there, there's a number of problems that I see in this. And I don't know whether you see it, but they, it was glaring at me as I was reading through this passage over and over again. And the first problem that struck me was their selection process. The, uh, it says at the beginning, it says, they were all joined together constantly in prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. And, uh, and they choose a man. 
Well, that's not great. So here you have this moment when you could do something that would be a really great statement to people. And so, the, you know, Jesus, maybe he had his reason for the 12 men that he chose to be his apostolic team. And so now there's this moment when if we could have just picked a woman to be in that place, that would have helped a lot, don't you think? It would settle a lot of uh, concern about misogyny and the disrespect of women. You just could have easily solved a lot of problems by choosing a woman. They're right there. And then they choose a Jewish man. One of the other primary problems that there's going to be in the church, uh, and I th still think is, the ch is in the church, is the idea of ethnicity. They could have chosen a Gentile, but they chose another Jew. Why would they do that? I find this concerning. You had a minute to make, uh, to, to, to make a corrective that could have had a much more inclusive uh, representation and another Jew was chosen, as if there was, wasn't enough on the team. I have 12. Why not 11? I'm sure that's enough. Just one Gentile, just to represent us. Nope. And then they choose Joseph. Sorry, they don't choose Joseph. They choose Matthias. Well, that's not very nice. Like, shouldn't everybody just be able to belong? Like, how would you feel if you were justice? You've been uh, following Jesus through his whole ministry. There's finally a spot open on the, uh, on the primary leadership team. And then the luck of the draw, you're out. And Matthias, who you never hear about again in Scripture, gets the job. <laughs> like, wouldn't you be just a little choked? I mean, I'm sure his resume was equally good, perhaps better. These are the things that I think we struggle with in leadership. Why do they get it? What, like, what's going on here? What kind of statements are being made when, when somebody gets to be on stage and someone else isn't on stage? These are hard things, right? I think they are. So the first problem that I see in this leadership team is the, is the form of selection. The second problem, which isn't stated, but is just true, like, of all people, is their imperfection. So not only did you choose a specific male Jew, I'm sure that he was not perfect, otherwise known as a human being. So, you have in the very beginning of the church some, uh, some questions that might already be raised in your mind as to what kind of church this is going to be. Jewish-run male church that's selective in its leadership and maybe it's going to look me over too because I'm the wrong gender or I didn't get the luck of the draw, or I'm the wrong ethnicity. And this is the beginning of the church. And then the people that I'm sure get the job 
are not perfect. Now, it's to these people that Hebrews and all of their successors, it's to these that Hebrews 13, 17 says, have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. So Jesus says to you and I, uh, you know that leadership team? You might have some opinions about them. To that leadership team, You're to submit to them, horrible word. You're to submit to them so that it will go better for you. So the question that begs to be asked is what could go better for me with a team that maybe isn't even representing me and that already looks biased from the outset? How could me submitting, submitting to that team be good for me? I think the answer is in their qualifications. <clears throat> and there's something about their qualifications that helps us understand why these particular people were chosen. It doesn't give all the answers, but it at least helps us know what's going on. The first qualification that was necessary was that they needed to be, is to be a testimony. It says here in, um, in verse 21, it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus was living among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. Here's the first thing that we need uh, and that leaders offer us that is critical. The first thing is that we need people who have personally experienced Christ's resurrection power. We need some people who have walked with Jesus for a long time, have witnessed his resurrection power. Uh, we need those kinds of people in our lives. Um, one, of my, uh, one of my mentors, his name is Patty, he uh, did ministry here in Vancouver during a time when I think most of you wouldn't even, maybe most of you weren't even in this city, um, maybe not even alive, but it was, uh, it was called the Jesus People Movement, and it was a revival that happened in Vancouver. It happened in the, uh, in the 60s, 70s. 1960s. <laughs> and, uh, and so my, uh, my, um, uh, my mentor was a, was a youth pastor during that revival. He witnessed the resurrection power made manifest in a city like Vancouver. And so back then, uh, my number one goal in life was to get him to start talking because I just love listening to him talk. And he would tell stories about what it was like to see the power of God present he says, one of the ministries that we created, we just created ministries because uh, everything worked. And so uh, one of the ministries is this is the, uh, this is the time of, uh, of hippies. 
And so what hippies would do is they would, <laughs> they would hitchhike down a horseshoe bay and then uh, go over to Tofino and do what only hippies can do. All right, so they would go to, uh, to Long Beach. Well, what they did is they set up a ministry of a bus. They got a small bus, and they would pick people up at Second Arrows Bridge, and they would drive them, which is about a half an hour drive, to the Horseshoe Bay Terminal to catch the ferry. So they'd pick them up, and then one guy would stand up and preach the gospel to all the hippies who were looking for a free ride. They would get saved, they would drop them off, pick up the next group, and do the same thing over and over again all day long. Within half an hour, they're all saved. Isn't that incredible? All, he, says, he says, there was one condition on people coming to Christ. You spoke. <laughs> like, all you had to do was just speak. I came to Christ. My brother came to Christ in the Jesus people revival. And the first time Jory ever told me about Jesus, it was like, well, I'm in. Like, here we go. It wasn't like, well, what are you really trying to say? And what does it really say in hepatitis 3.9? And, and uh, what is, like, you know, it was just, I'm in. Like, it just, I was, I mean, I'm sure you were very eloquent, Jory. I really do. I think you were very eloquent. But I was, uh, I was low fruit. I was, uh, it was just kind of easy picking. And I'm a kid, so. Uh. But everybody came to Jesus. And I remember asking him, I says, and, and he would describe these youth gatherings that they would have where, where hundreds of kids would come out and people just coming to Christ all the time. And I remember asking him, I says, Patty, what did you do? He says, and then he said, as quickly as it started, it ended. Just something pulled back, someone, pulled back, and he says it just stopped. And I says, Patty, what did you do? And he says, I was depressed for two years. I didn't know how to do ministry without the empowering of the Holy Spirit. I didn't know what to do. He says, I, just, I was depressed for two years. And then I decided that I would just be faithful in whatever place God would have me. But that was hard for him. Uh, Steve Murrell, who's the president of our movement, if you ever go to an Every Nation event, what Steve Murrell is going to do is at some point, not every time, but pretty much every time, he's going to stand up and tell stories about what God is doing around the world. He's been to Ukraine. I, the number of air miles that that man must have is very remarkable. But uh, he's always on a plane somewhere. And he will, he will tell stories <clears throat> of, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm tempted to tell them because they're, they're absolutely remarkable, of today, the power and presence of God alive in the world. And I was telling you that I was in Phoenix, and uh, last week I was in uh, Corvallis, Oregon yesterday, and uh, you can tell a difference between uh, here and there. You can just tell the difference spiritually. Um, it's very, very palpable. I need people telling me stories of the manifest, which means the physical representation, the manifest presence of God being alive today. I need that. 
I need it for my soul. I need people who witness that and tell me about it. I think we need that, don't we? And so we need leaders to come and say, God is not dead. God is alive, and here's what he's doing. And I am an eyewitness to it. Hugely beneficial for our faith and anticipation of the coming of the Holy Spirit. So number one is testimony. Number two is they have particular traits. uh, uh, They had certain characteristics. Uh, One way to describe it is in 1 Corinthians 16, 15 to 16. It says, you know, because it talks about the two things. It says, you know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achai, we're in Achai, and they devoted themselves to the service of the Lord's people. I urge you to submit to such people. So, what were the two things, two kind, the, the two qualities of people that we were to we are to submit to? One is they needed to be the the first converts. It's this idea of people who have wisdom, who have walked with Jesus, and these are the ones that we are to submit to. And they devoted themselves to service, to serving the church. Now, let me just define for a moment. I've said it, but I just need to, in case you haven't heard it before, just let me give you a simple definition of what submission is. Submission is receiving. So there's a group of people who want to serve us. To submit to their service means to receive their service. To not be proud and defensive, and I don't need you. I can do things on my own. Who do you think you are anyways? It was random that you got chosen. I could have been chosen if I wanted to. I just didn't want to. Like, it, it, none of that. It's just, I'm going to receive it. I'm just going to let myself receive your service of me. That's what submission means. And so, in places like in Titus chapter 1, there's a, there's a long list of, of, of character traits of, of leaders in the church. It's a sobering list if you have any kind of leadership uh, responsibilities in your life. But let me say this. We need people in our life, first of all, who have walked with Jesus and are witnesses of his resurrection power. And then we need godly leaders to serve us. Now, uh, uh, you know, we have, uh, we have a few kids in our home, and uh, they're, all, they're all growing up. And what's really, really interesting to me is what they think being an adult is when they're a teenager. It's super amusing because they think, because when you're a kid, you get told what to do, right? And so they can hardly wait to become an adult because adults never get told what to do, right? We don't have any responsibilities and we just live free and easy for the rest of our lives. You know, do I get an amen? Um, but uh, there's this idea that being an adult is to somehow be independent and I think we even experience this in the church I have my own relationship with God and whenever I want to read the Bible I do and sometimes I even understand it so I'm not sure that I really need anybody. I don't really, see the, I don't really see why I need a leader. I have good friends. I could talk to them if I felt like it. Yet we actually, as adults, we still need people to serve us. 
We need that. You, it's such a weird thing to need. But I think you and I need to be served by godly people. And so we should put ourselves in small groups, in an event like this, whatever it is, and position ourselves so that people could serve us. It's good for our soul, and it helps us receive the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. Are you comfortable with letting yourself be served? Do you even think that it's necessary? It's terribly necessary. The goal of adulthood is not independence. It's just not independence. Um, I was in this campus conference that a number of our students are, are, are just coming home from in Carvalho. amazing, just incredible worship, incredible teaching, and just seeing them have a good time and meeting new friends, really, really great. And uh, I never watched the movie. Is it Benjamin Button? Yeah, is that a movie? Where he gets to be younger instead of older? Yeah. So this was the analogy that one of the speakers used. He says, I think that as we get older, we realize more and more of our need. It's only when we're young that we're arrogant. But as we get older, we realize just how much we need others. I think you and I need leaders in our lives. Before I was, um, uh, before we started this church, I was in another church, and it was an independent, charismatic church, an excellent church. I love that church. Um, before we started this church, we wanted to make sure that we weren't an independent church. I personally wanted to make sure that I was a follower before I was a leader. And if I don't know how to be a follower, I'm a dangerous leader. And so uh, you and I, need to figure out how to be followers if we're ever going to become leaders. So they had certain traits that uh, equip them to be able to serve, and we get to receive that. We need it. Finally, they had a task, and it was a very specific task. It's outlined in verse 25. It says to take over this apostolic ministry, which Judas left to take over this apostolic ministry. I remember talking to one of my friends who uh, just an incredibly godly man. He teaches, he, uh, he uh, serves in a church in New Westminster, Rich Gal. And he says, two things never happen naturally, uh, prayer or mission. They never happen naturally. You actually have to be intentional and decide to do it. We need leaders if we're going to take the empowering of the Holy Spirit, and not just use it for personal amusement, but actually to see it extend God's kingdom and be a blessing for others. There used to be, uh, 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 Debbie and I were really involved in a movement that really prioritized the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. And we were groupies and went along and went around to all kinds of conferences. And what it felt sometimes, because the power of God was incredibly manifest, very, very present, where it would be hard to stand, and uh, things like that. <laughs> Other more embarrassing things, but, but you're flat. <laughs> you can't stand. Um, and here's what it sometimes felt like when the power of God came into those places. It was just for amusement. It was like somebody 
who would stick their finger into a light socket and get a jolt. And you go, well, that was cool. Hey, come over here. If you stick your finger in the socket, you'll get a jolt. They go, really? Yeah, you'll get a jolt. It's amazing. So, oh, wow, I got a jolt. And you invite all your friends over, and we're just being amused by getting an electric shock. And we never realized that perhaps you could actually plug something in, and it could be useful. We just like getting the zap. And so what we need leaders for is to say, hey, the empowering presence of God actually is for a purpose, an apostolic purpose, a purpose to see the kingdom of God come. And without leaders, we'll get distracted in thinking that it's about our personal experience and not see that there's something greater going on. This is a great gift that leaders give. Context. Context. The church in Corinth is known for two things. It's uh, eager um, responsiveness to the Holy Spirit and that not going well for them. They really like the power. They love sticking their finger in the socket and they were just divisive, sinful people because they didn't get what the point was. I remember my second year Greek course was on 2 Corinthians and I remember going through the Greek and looking at the super apostles who were trying to steal away the Corinthian church from Paul's leadership. And Paul is just urging, would you let me be a father to you so that I could provide for you a context for this power to be good news and not divisive? This is what we need leadership for. Got two more. We're almost done. We also see a team in verse 22. It says, beginning from John's baptism, time to take enough for us, uh, for one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. In terms of leadership, we need more than one person. We just need more than one person. One of the, I grew up in a, in a time where discipleship was a really big deal. And it kind of got competitive. Like, who's discipling who? And it was just really weird. Well, in our church, we just pray that we would have, you would be able to be influenced by lots of people and that you would influence lots of people. It's not about being possessive about who your discipler is or who you're discipling. Uh, I pray that in our church, we would have a diversity of people that we could benefit from the various manifestations of the Holy Spirit could shine through in this rainbow of color that we could be blessed in all kinds of different ways. Uh, I experienced this personally. The leadership of our church is not, does not reside in a single person. It resides in an eldership team. And I need to be a part of that team. Uh, hugely beneficial to me personally, and it keeps us all safe, and it keeps our leadership of the church. We're leading with a diversity of gifts and abilities, not just a few. I also need to be part of every nation. I need, we need context. We need, to, we need leaders with, who care about reaching the ends of the earth. We need leaders who are prophetic in their ministry. We need leaders who can open up God's word and teach. We need all kinds of leaders. I need them. I'm desperate for them. And finally, trust. It says, uh, they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. This is the trait of godliness. You know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen. So we've talked in the past about how 
um, the Bible actually doesn't tell us to trust our leaders. The Bible just tells us to submit to our leaders, which sounds worse, but it's what the Bible says to do. You don't have to trust them. You just have to submit to them. (laughs) And so who are we trusting in when we submit to leaders? We're always trusting in Jesus. We're always trusting in God, the one that you've chosen. Not the one that I would have chosen, the one that you've chosen. They did not vote in who was the 12th apostle. God chose. Now, this is very gripping. Uh, A verse that's very relevant for this moment in time is Romans chapter 13, verses 1 and 2. Everyone must submit to governing authorities for all, that is an unfortunate word, for all authority comes from God and those in positions of authority, which means real people, not just some um, slot, but like those in authority, those actual people, you can picture their faces. Those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. Really? Really? I thought we voted them in. Could have sworn. So anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and they will be punished. Wow. So let me say something very controversial. I don't need to trust in Trudeau to submit to him. In case you didn't hear. I don't need to trust in Trudeau. I don't need to trust in him in order to submit to him. I'm commanded to submit to him because I trust in God. Now, this is very, very different. You see, what we could do if it was just the first four, yep, uh, this is what I'm looking for in a leader. They need to witness the resurrection power. They need to have, they need to serve me well. With God. They need to have a godliness in their heart that would benefit me. Uh, they need to keep me focused. Yeah, I really like that. That's helpful. Not, I don't like it all the time, but it's, it's generally helpful. And I need to be a team because I like a diversity of leadership. Okay, uh, you fit the bill. And then point five comes along and says, excuse me, I'm going to, God speaking, I'm going to choose who your leader is. It's like, really? I kind of wanted that job. I kind of wanted to go around to various churches, find one that I like that fits one to four. And then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to choose that. And, and God says, no, you're not going to choose that. I'm going to choose that. And get this, your leader will be beneficial to you to the degree that you trust me and, and, and exhibit that trust by submitting to them. I love how it said earlier in uh, Hebrews 13, um, uh, have confidence in your leaders, submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. So that's sobering. But then this, do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. It'd be of no benefit to you. Again, we have, we have a, a, a few children, and they benefit from our leadership to the degree that 
they trust that Jesus could work through imperfect people to be a blessing to them. And if they do not submit to our leadership, it's a sign not of our poor performance, although that's often true. It's actually a lack of trust in Jesus. Um, I think it was two winters ago, uh, we got a free snowmobiling package up past Whistler for two. So Debbie didn't want to go. So I said to Ty, Tyler, my, one of my sons, he says, hey, Ty, do you want to go? He goes, sure. And so we went up there, and uh, we spend the time snowmobiling. Kind of fun. Mountain bike's better, but uh, kind of fun. And so we, uh, and then we come back, and then I do what I often do with my kids. And I'll just say, so I said to Tyler, I go, Tyler, how are we doing? Is there anything you want to say to me? You know, is there anything that you're having difficulty with? I just really want to hear. I want to, I want to hear if there's any, any way that I can change or grow or love you better. And he says to me, he says, Dad, he says, a few years ago, I would have had a long list. He says, there was lots of things that were bothering me. He says, uh, I don't really have a list anymore. I'm okay with who you are. It overwhelmed me. He says, you don't need to be better. I'm okay. I've, I've received who you are, not who you aren't. And I'm okay with that. And I love that you're my dad. I'm sorry, but that's incredible. Now, here's what I would have preferred. Dad, you're amazing. <laughs> that's what I would have preferred. <laughs> you're amazing, and let me guess, every way. And uh, because of your amazingness, and I go, oh, stop it. Tell me more. Uh, you know, because of your amazingness, um, I submit to your leadership as the head of our home. Uh, he did not say any of that. He says, I know fully who you are, and it's okay. I've worked that through in my relationship with Jesus, that you don't need to be more for me to be blessed by your leadership in my life. <clears throat> um, you will discover, I discover, that as we are blessed, as we let ourselves be blessed by leaders, they become more and more of a blessing. And as we complain about our leaders, they become less and less of a blessing somehow. I've discovered this. That it's a benefit to me that their leadership is not a burden to them of me. Let's conclude. We're going to have communion. So if the communion team can begin to hand out the, uh, the cups, let me ask you, just, just we're, we're almost done. Let me ask you, uh, do you want more of the Holy Spirit in your life? Oh, man. I want those stories that Patty has. I want those stories that Steve Merle has. I want those stories. Somebody prophesied over me just a, just a short while ago that we're going to see those stories. 
and I believe it. I want to see those stories. I want us to tell those stories so that we would be eyewitnesses of the resurrection power of the Lord Jesus Christ made manifest. Let's not then stifle God's spirit by being distant, not in community, faithless, not praying, or defended, unsubmitted to leadership. Do you hear that? We, we close the work of the Holy Spirit in our life if we are distant, faithless, or defended. Because if we're distant, we're distant. If we're faithless, we also can't receive. And if we're defended, we also can't receive. That somehow God, in his infinite wisdom, prepares our hearts perfectly for the coming of his Spirit and calls us into imperfect community to pray and to surrender to imperfect leaders. And that's exactly what's necessary in our heart in order to receive the empowering of the Holy Spirit. Ingenious. Absolutely ingenious. This is what we need. And this is what God gives us in his church. And so he calls us to value community, to value prayer, and to value leadership. And the key is this, humility. First Peter 5, 5, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor or grace or gifts, what that word means, to the humble. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. How do you receive the grace of the Spirit, the favor, the blessing of the Spirit? How do you receive all of that? Through humility. How do you get humility? Well, God's helping you with that. He puts you in an imperfect church with imperfect leaders, and for sure then you're going to pray. And all of that is perfectly designed to work the humility in our hearts so that we receive the Spirit. It's ingenious. They don't even need to be perfect. We just get to submit and join and pray. And this creates space for God to do what only he can do. Let me say one other thing, and then we'll, we'll receive communion. Let me ask you, I think about this idea of being chosen as I read through this text. Would you like to be a leader? Many of you here, of course, are. I think we're all leaders, to be honest with you, in, 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 in some kind of dimension. But listen to what 1 Timothy 3.1 says. Here is a trustworthy saying. Whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. Would you desire to be an overseer? Would you desire that you would have a personal experience of his resurrection power? that you would have traits in your life that enable you to serve others in love and kindness? Would you long to point people to the kingdom of God, to be part of a team where you're working together? Would you aspire to that? There's one of the things that needs to be said about this church community. I pray that it will never get clogged at the top. There will always be space. There will always be space for whoever wants to lead. We need way more of one through five. We need way more.
So are you Matthias? Are you? We're going to get into the very next chapter where men and women prophesy. Men and women lead. Jews and Gentiles. All cultures. We're all chosen to be a kingdom of priests. So as you hold this uh, communion cup in your hand, and the worship team can come forward, as you hold this communion cup in your hand, um, would you say yes to the two sides of leadership? Would you surrender to Jesus being your leader and him uh, extending his leadership through imperfect human leaders? Would you let yourself surrender to his leadership? And would you say, Father, if there's any way could I please participate in being a servant of yours as a servant in your church? Can this cup represent a surrender to Christ in his church and a willingness to participate? Mm-hmm.